XV Planus is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. It all started with a dream. Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planus the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and just plain weird with you all. I hope everybody's doing all right out there, and I do mean that sincerely, friends, I really do. Things are crazy out there, aren't they? Weather anomalies, gun violence, warring nations... UFO disclosure that moves slow as molasses in February. It's tense out there. So thank you for taking a break from our chaotic, observable reality to dive into the void with me. In our previous episode, we were lucky enough to have Mike Terrell join us, who walked us through the broad strokes of Washington's long and rich history, as well as providing some deeper knowledge that makes the story of Washington from its establishment to now all the more interesting. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that first. I know, I know, get to the spooky and whatnot, but the history lessons apply to this investigation, and understanding the setting will better explain the array of subtle phenomena we experienced while on location. So you should really, really go back and listen to that episode first. Go ahead, we'll wait. Now, for those of you already here, and for those of you who have just returned, let's get into it. When I kicked off Season 3, I suggested that there will be a little bit of an evolution in this project called XV Planus that will slowly start to reveal itself over the course of the year. And part of that shift in focus leans into the attempt to communicate with the varied anomalies we've experienced through the years. Now, as I said earlier this season, I don't really need any more proof. I don't need to prove anything to anyone else. I have seen it all, or at the very least, I have seen enough. Trying to capture it on camera is futile, and I'm beginning to think that if that is the approach to the phenomenon, we're kind of missing the point. If your nose is buried in the screen, you're going to miss what's happening right in front of you. Now is the time to try to understand it, and to connect with it. Stop trying to capture it like this isn't a scavenger hunt. We should be focusing on how to work with it instead of, uh, I don't know, trying to get your TikTok views in. Whatever. Understanding why it's happening and what it means, that's where this needs to be going, and we'll do better if we work collectively, by the way. What I want to do, what I need to do, is to figure out how to talk to it, and talk to it in all its varied forms. But tonight, we're going to take a look at the idea of that communication reversed. What if the phenomena decides to reach out to you, rather than you to it? And with that, I am very excited to have Jamie Patterson return and share her point of view of this journey through a town trapped in time. We're going to get to that conversation about our investigation right after this brief message from our friends over at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I'm Steve. And I'm Jason. And we're the hosts of Grognostics, the podcast. Take a journey down the rabbit hole with us as we investigate some of life's most intriguing mysteries while sampling some of the country's finest craft beers. Some topics would include UFOs. What the heck was that? What? 
Oh, that spaceship? I got some sound effects for our promo. Pretty sweet, huh? Uh, it's a little annoying, actually. Where was I? Uh, UFOs. Oh, uh, the disappearance of the Roanoke colony. Seriously, Steve? Foreign accent syndrome, reincarnation. Uh, mediums and psychics? Nothing? Well, that's better. Cosmic quandaries. Sex in the ancient world. Okay, that's it. I'm done. You can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. That's Grognostics. G-R-O-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Jamie, my friend, welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you join me. How have you been? Pretty good. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, anytime. I mean, the way this keeps going, you're you're guaranteed for at least a two or three yearly slots, I think. <laughs> <laughs> More than happy to be here. More than happy. When I started this series, I briefly mentioned at the beginning, and I also mentioned in the cold open of this episode, that there was kind of a, much like most of the places that I go to these days, there's an odd story that kind of surrounds what actually put you and I in Washington. And I wanted to touch on that before you and I started digging into uh, our experience there. And it's a bummer that Jason's not there with you to, to tell it from his own lips. But if you wouldn't mind, let's talk about the strange events that actually led us to Washington, which kind of starts with you. Yes. Um, well, Jason, my husband, and our three kids plan an annual spring break vacation where we attempt to go way way beyond our, our home here in Yazoo City, Mississippi. And we had originally planned to go to Kentucky to Mammoth Caves National Park. And I think it was about two years ago when that crazy snowstorm kind of hit the southeastern part of the country, which if anybody's from here, we don't do well with snow. We freak out. We <laughs> we drive. We and this wasn't just a, a slight flurry. It was an on on just doom like storm. We got all the way to Memphis. We had to erratically stop at the most sketchiest hotel I've ever been at. But that's a whole other story. We made it. But while we were there kind of riding the storm out, we're like, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to go to the mountains of Kentucky in this weather. So let's go the opposite direction, which would be crossing the Mississippi River and going into Arkansas, which was for all purposes cold but clear. So literally in our hotel room impromptu, we started looking at different state parks to kind of save on some rooms to get cabins and camping options. and. Never heard of historic Washington State Park in Washington, Arkansas. Didn't know anything about it. We'd been to Arkansas frequently, never even heard of it. And I uncovered it just browsing the internet. And the first thing I saw was uh, a jailhouse bed and breakfast. And I was like, hmm. So that intrigued us. The room was only $118 a night. Uh, it was in a historic state park. You were literally staying in an old jail cell converted to a B&B. There was historical sites all around the place. So we were like, hey, you know, we can make a day out of this and, and stay somewhere pretty cool. And it's affordable. So we booked the room with the intention of arriving there two days later. We get there and we are um, completely unaware that we are the only 
tenants of the entire building. Uh, no one else had rented out the, I believe it's seven, I think it's maybe eight rooms total, I think. And we'd rented out room one and no one else had, had checked in. So we literally kind of had the whole building to ourselves. And we had problems getting in. So we our code that was provided to us wouldn't work. So the nice park rangers gave us kind of a universal code to get into the building and to our room. So I think I should start by saying that, that we access to different rooms. So that's how we ended up there. And we had been kind of fed the story that it's haunted. And, and we kind of took that with a grain of salt. And, and we kind of hyped it up a little bit because our kids were with us. But going into it, my husband and I, you know, we weren't skeptic, but we weren't ruling anything out either. But we honestly thought it would just be a normal kind of quick overnight trip. Going from there, we spent the day in the town, which is just chock full of history and cemeteries, former buildings, some original, some reproductions. Uh, but it was literally kind of like a ghost town. And the first thing that intrigued us was that we were walking and this little old lady came out of a house. Apparently, she's like maybe one of two residents in the town. And you can tell that she that, that COVID had just kind of gotten over with. And you could tell she was just really hungry for interaction. And she comes out with her little dog and she talks to us. And she literally holds us up for like two and a half hours just talking. And the subject got brought up, oh, y'all are staying at the jailhouse. And we were like, yeah. And I just casually was like, yeah, I heard it's haunted kind of thing. And without even missing a beat, she was like, oh, this place is just full of spirits. She said, I see spirits go by my window to, toward the cemetery all the time. And and she just said it without even batting an eye. My husband and I were like, well, okay. You know, and we went back to our B&B kind of thinking, well, that was like something out of a movie, you know, the little elderly lady comes out of nowhere and, and talks to you and just casually brings something like that up. But so at that point, having heard her say that, we were kind of like, hmm, you know, just just really observant when we got back to the the jailhouse. Night be the night began as normal as one would imagine. We played some board games. My husband plays guitar. We we played guitar. We grilled some burgers. We hung out. We watched TV. I mean, nothing you know, real spectacular, but it came time to go to bed that night and unsure if anyone was going to check in in the night, maybe we all stayed in our one room, which had a pullout bed and a king size bed. And I can remember going to bed, not really feeling, you know, too terribly scared or, or excited. I mean, it was just a time to tune into bed kind of thing. Um, that evening, I, I don't really remember what I dreamed, but I do remember that it, it made me toss and turn all night. I couldn't really get a good night's sleep. I woke up and I, I heard what I thought was like a cough. But living in an old house myself, I just kind of thought it was the wood popping kind of thing because our, our room was kind of adjacent to the wall that the stairs were on. So I just was like, well... I hope it's not anything, but it, I just, you know, tried to have an explanation for it. The next morning we woke up, Chase and my husband said, I had the most vivid, incredible dream. I found, I sound stupid just even talking about it. And I was like, okay, well, 
you know, you got to tell me now. So the kids are still sleeping. We get up and get coffee and we're sitting in kind of the community, like community room. It's in the middle of the jailhouse. And he said, I had this dream that this guy, we were here in the jail and this guy was just sitting in a chair talking to me. And he told me that he was the inmate that they keep saying committed suicide in, in the jail. And he said he kept telling me, but I didn't do it. I was murdered. And I want you to figure out my story and tell it. And Jason said in his dream, he was just kind of like, oh, you know, okay. And then in his dream, the guy was like, well, aren't you going to write this down? And he said, no, I'll remember it. (laughs) And nothing bad happened, nothing. And it was just a casual kind of, he wakes up from his dream and he says he wasn't really freaked out, but it was kind of weird, the vividness of it the specific kind of request made in his dream. And then that he's like, I just felt, you know, not threatened or anything, but that maybe, you know, maybe it was my head just playing tricks with me. You know, dreams are a whole other show topic, but he didn't put a lot of stock into it. He just thought it was interesting. And while we're sitting there having coffee, he, he didn't tell me at the time, but when we got on down the road, he said that he kept feeling something on the floor moving like someone was walking. He said, if anybody that lives in old houses, when you have those wooden floors and you're kind of barefoot on them, if something's moving or someone's walking, it, it I don't want to say it like shakes, but it vibrates. Oh, you, yeah, you feel it through the whole house. Yeah. So unbeknownst to me, he actually got up and went to our room to make sure the kids weren't up and they were still sleeping, but he didn't really want to say anything to me because he didn't want me to freak out, but he just kind of kept it in his mind. Well, then probably about an hour later, our kids start waking up and we have three kids and our middle child, my little girl, she wakes up. And at the time she was probably nine. Yeah, she was nine, maybe 10, nine, nine years old. She wakes up and she is just and she's a pretty tough little chick. I mean, it takes a lot to shake her up. And I mean, she's the only girl, you know, and, and with nothing but boys and boy cousins. So she's not easily shaken. She wakes up and she's just frantic. She's like, mom, we got to get out of here. And I was like, well, we hadn't even ate yet. You know, what, what's what's going on? And she's like, I had a really bad dream. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to get out of here and I never want to come back. And I was like, well, no, you got to tell me, you know, what you dreamed. And she starts crying and she's like, I just don't want to talk about it. And I was like, well, okay, you know, so at that point, I'm like, well, all right, well, you know, she's not having fun anymore. Let's get our stuff together and let's head out. So we pack up, nothing's happening. And then before we get ready to leave, I remember that we have the universal code to get into all the other rooms. And I told my husband, I was like, I want to see what the other rooms look like real quick before we leave. And so I go to room number two, enter the code in and we open the door. And when we open it, it it immediately sounds like someone raised up off a bed, like that kind of, it's not squeak. Well, yeah, I guess it's kind of squeaky. Like the springs resetting. Yeah. Yeah. And Jason and I just stopped, you know, because we thought, oh crap, you know, someone checked in in the middle of the night, you know, or something. I kind of slowly went to close the door and then it sounded like somebody sat back down. And I was like, oh, crap, you know, so we closed the door real quick and I immediately run to the window to the kitchen to see if there was any other car in the parking lot. Because I thought, man, somebody checked in in the middle of the night and we just walked in on them. Mm-hmm. 
no other cars. We were, in fact, still the only people there. So we leave. To this day, my little girl has never told me what she dreamed. I've since revisited there with you. You actually stayed in that room. The first thing I did when, when we checked in that day was I sat on the bed and it's it, it did it was not a spring bed. It was kind of like a foam bed. So I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, why would it make that noise if it's not really kind of the old school beds with springs? So I kept thinking in my head, there has to be an explanation then that that, that noise came from somewhere. But it was the only time that my husband and I have ever been in a, in a situation where we both looked at each other and we were like, oh, crap, you know, like, what are we hearing kind of thing. So we left very quickly, um, but we left with every intention that we were going to, to do as much research as we could about this particular prisoner and, and, and the history on the place itself. And, uh, and we vowed that we were going to go back, you know, and try to figure it out. And that's when you and I touched base and you were coming home for the holidays and you were like, hey, perfect opportunity. Let's do it. So that's how we got there back to uh, the jailhouse. And that's kind of where you and I stories kicks off, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so regarding doing the uh, the research post trip, that's something that I really want to point out here, because uh, like during the time that you guys were in town, you're wandering through, you're hearing about, how, oh, yes, this place is haunted, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody ever really mentioned the suicide in the jail at that point, right? It, you guys didn't find out about that until afterwards, correct? Uh, no, actually, the pamphlets that we got at the visitor center. Oh, okay. It, it did say it's, you know, they really, really mark it that it's haunted by this inmate. They name him. He's, um, this is quote, this is uh, quoting from the, the pamphlet, and it gives a little kind of, description to people who haven't been there there's a concrete pillar in the dining room that has these sketchings of the etched names of convicts written by the convicts themselves so it's kind of like you, and it's enclosed by glass so you have that but here it says allegedly a ghost also has a permanent residency at the jail a mr isaac newton evans said the inmate committed suicide in december of 1922 but has been seen by staff and guests throughout recent years. So they specifically named the inmate as Isaac Newton Evans. Old Ike. Yeah. So when we went there to stay the first night, we kind of knew of this, this legend. So when we left, that's all we had was that one name. And I was kind of curious to see, like, if, if in fact I could trace down this guy. And I did find some newspaper articles, but... But yes, the, the, the place really markets Isaac Newton Evans as this ghost that apparently, quote, committed suicide. Or did he? Yes, or did he? <laughs> so that brings into question the dream that Jason had and kind of what kicked off this whole trip to go there and explore it and see if we can actually connect with it, communicate with it, whatever, and see if we can get some sort of reaction or, or I don't know. I don't know how to communicate with these things when words are probably not the best way to go about it, you know? <laughs> right. But it was uh, it was intriguing enough to catch my attention. So, yeah, whenever I was heading down for the holidays, I was like, yeah, screw it. Let's go check it out. We ended up doing a two-night stay there. And it was it was kind of odd. Like, whenever we first got there, 
Uh, and we, we had the place to ourselves again for, for quite a bit until I want to say around 11 o'clock or so at night. When we got there, things were like the, the whole place was just a ghost town and no pun intended on that. It is like when the sun goes down, that town goes to sleep. And uh, there's only a handful of lights on that you can see through the woods and down the street. So it's, you know, it, it completely goes into a coma. But whenever we got there, we had some other friends with us. And before we get into the spooky stuff, here's the funny stuff. You and our, our friends all went for a walk at one point, and I took a little time just to start unloading equipment, getting batteries checked, all that stuff, the usual, uh, you know, paranormal investigator mumbo-jumbo. As I'm sitting there setting up infrared cameras and, and rim pods and stuff like that, all of a sudden the front door opens to this place, and in walk uh, about 10 to 12 people of all various shapes and sizes and heights. <laughs> And uh, they looked an awful lot like they walked straight out of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they started to ask if they could carol for me. And I was the only one there. I'm like, knock yourselves out, guys. Before they got started, they are like, oh, what do you have going on here? Are you filming a documentary? I'm like, no, not exactly. I'm a paranormal investigator. I'm here to chase ghosts. And everybody just kind of... <laughs> Cool. So, how about Carol of the Bells? Yeah. Okay. And so they go on about their business. I ended up singing along with them for a while. But of all of the people they could have walked in on, they walk in on me, the real weirdo. It just that had to have looked weird. Like, hey, you want to see my Ouija board? <laughs> you know. <laughs> They didn't come back for an encore. So, <laughs> no, actually, it was quite funny because um, whenever I told them what we were up to, uh, there was one person who, on the way out, pulled me aside and said, "You need to go to the visitor center and talk to Mike." Yeah, that's the the woman who uh, put Mike into our our wheelhouse for this trip. Right. So that first night, uh, it was it was pretty low key. We tried a few Estes sessions, didn't really get too much. Place was definitely quiet. I would say that other than a, a couple of creaks and potential footsteps, things were pretty dead that night. No pun intended. Right. I think the one and only thing that happened on the first night is uh, at one point I just ended up crashing out on one of the couches out in the living room area, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And around 3.30 or 4 in the morning, I I slightly wake up because I can hear somebody walking through the dining room. Mm -hmm. And I keep my eyes closed. But you know how when your eyes are closed, you can still see if something passes in front of you and breaks the light, right? If, if the oh, lights yeah. are on in the room. I fake sleeping all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, I, I know when, when it's, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. You, yeah. you kind of know in the room with you. Yeah. So I'm dead asleep, and I slightly wake up from these footsteps, but I don't really open my eyes, and then I see the shadow pass with my eyes closed, and that's what prompts me to wake up a little bit more and open my eyes and see, like, who's up, who can't sleep. I open my eyes, and there is nobody there. Nothing. Right. This was only within two to three feet of me, so I would say that that was, like, the first very interesting moment that mm -hmm. I had. Yeah. You didn't really have too much happen that first night either, did you? Not really. I will say that I didn't feel, you know, scared or frightened or intimidated or anything. I kind of, oddly enough, I think I was more frightened on the way up there with the anticipation of being there. But once I got there, it was pretty low key. It, 
it almost felt like, you know, you were kind of trying to figure a puzzle out. It didn't at any point feel, you know, kind of different or anything. Do you want to go into real quick the background I found of Ike? Yeah, let's let's talk about our mystery man who called us there. Well, the first thing I found was I obviously went looking for anything from 1922, which was around the time that he supposedly passed away at the jail. And I kept hitting dead ends with Isaac Evans. But then I found a Ike in Evans, which I was like, well, okay, that's got to be him. Mm-hmm. And um, it definitely is him. And this article is from that era, right within that. In fact, it was... Um, about it was it was the toward the latter part of 1922 so it was the year he supposedly died he was arrested at a depot he was wanted for disturbing the peace and assault and battery according to this newspaper article it says the officers placed him under arrest just as he finished questioning the ticket agent about the departure of his stepdaughter and her husband who the husband's last name or first name maybe was Murphy It says, quote, Murphy and his wife were making an attempt to evade Evans, as it is said he had threatened violence against Murphy, his family, and himself. So he's wanted for these violent actions or allegations at this point, I guess, against his stepdaughter and her family. Uh, It says when he was searched, deadly weapons were found. Uh, He was tried and fined 50 bucks in each of the two cases. And it says a far more serious crime against Evans came out of the misdemeanor trials, which I found interesting. It says that a far more serious charge against him came out, but it doesn't tell you what it was. So who knows what what came about during this trial? Well, I think that's where it starts to go into the the more speculative side, because it it. It was suggested from uh, a few pieces of literature that we picked up, as well as some some historians that we talked to, that he might have been responsible for some sort of uh, uh, sexual assault or or something pretty intense like that, which is is why they came down cracking down on him. It says here, um, and this is what makes me put a little weight to that is that in another article it does say that Evans is charged with a statutory offense against Miss Murphy, a stepdaughter, and his arrest on this charge followed disclosures made by the young woman to the officers following his arrest on the misdemeanor charge. So that would make sense if it was something like a sexual assault or a battery or or something like that, because it's not worded per se, but it kind of alludes to that. On his own stepdaughter, no less. Did, did I mention a few moments ago, not a nice guy. And I kept thinking in my head that he was maybe a younger guy when he came here in 22. But in fact, he was 69 years old. He had a wife and several children. And it, it says here specifically that he resided in Washington a number of years and was tried in the Hempstead Circuit Court on a charge of killing his brother, Jim Evans some years ago. Well, that instantly sparked my interest, and I found a newspaper article that printed in 1909, which that would have had him in his 40s at that point. And it's um, from a Washington newspaper, and it said that a row started last night in the yard at the home of Ike Evans. Wait, 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 back up. A row? (laughs) It says, has the result of a row starting last night. What is that? Like a game of fisticuffs? <laughs> is, is that what they're going for? <laughs> I don't 
I don't get. I don't. Yeah, I, I read it as yeah. They they went to throwing blows at each other. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, it says that it started in the yard of the home of Ike Evans, a farmer living near the city. Ike Evans shot and killed his brother James, a wealthy farmer, and was himself shot and beaten by Jesse Evans, son of the dead man, which would be his nephew, hmm. if son of the dead man. It says it is said that Jeff, and it's really distorted because it's an old paper, but apparently it said that Jesse Evans and others were in the yard at the Evans home where a dance was in progress. And hearing a disturbance, Ike Evans went out to investigate. So Ike leaves this dance. He goes to see what's going on. It was determined that Jesse Evans objected to his uncle's interference. Now, what he interfered with, it doesn't say. But at that point, he beat his uncle with a pair of heavy nucks. <laughs> heavy, heavy, heavy nucks? It says heavy nucks. What, in N-U-C-K? It's K-N-U-C-K-S, nucks. K-N-U-C-K. What the hell are these people talking about? Oh, okay, no, that's, that's got to be like brass knuckles, nucks. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, is that it was some sort of, you know, handheld kind of, yeah. I'm, I'm sure some diehard uh, frontier uh, historian is, is going to be more than happy to send me angry emails and, and correct me. So we'll just move on and let them uh, send the angry emails. <laughs> but well, at that point, nunchucks? after after getting hit with nunchucks, <laughs> at that point... <laughs> At that point, Ike Evans goes into his house, secures a shotgun, returns to the yard. By this time, James Evans, his brother, was on the scene, and it is claimed that Ike Evans leveled the gun on Jesse Evans, and Jesse Evans fired a pistol at his uncle, wounding him in the head. So Ike Evans gets shot in the head. It's not a, it's not a, you know, skin wound. It's... Ike then shot. Okay, so this guy, Ike, is shot in the head at this point. Realizes that the load that he intended for his nephew, Jesse, didn't work. The shot, the shot, it says the shot took effect in the body instead of his brother, James, killing him instantly. So Jesse Evans was today arrested and placed in jail here. So Jesse Evans, the nephew that shoots Ike in the head, he gets put at the Washington jail. Mm-hmm. Ike Evans, who did the killing and who is seriously wounded, um, it says from the headshot and the beating from the nucks, has yet to be arrested. While his condition is serious, it is believed that he will recover. Well, following his recovery, he then gets arrested and he ends up serving time. So this kind of becomes like a little family affair. And I'm sure I would think they wouldn't have put them in the same jail together just to keep some sort of order. So I'm not sure if if Ike ended up going to the Washington jail or maybe some other jail. But so this Ike guy that is the the, the dude that, that is kidding on every pamphlet about this place has a has a pretty lengthy criminal history. And not to you know disrespect anyone, but it just sounds to me like they kind of came from a little redneck family that, you know, having some drinks and dancing and a little episode happens and next thing you know we're we're getting brass knuckles and shooting the people in the head and years later we're assaulting stepdaughters and and it so so yeah it's safe to say this ike evans guy was was 
a, a troubled, troubled man, <laughs> so to speak. Not a nice guy, as, yeah. as we certainly uh, clued into earlier. Ike's story, though, it comes to an end at that jail, at the bed and breakfast that you and I stayed at. And this ties in directly to the dream that Jason had. So let's let's talk about how uh, our dear old Ike left this earthly plane and shuffled off this mortal coil, because uh, it's interesting. Well, it's claimed he hung himself, but then, you know, there's also claims that maybe it wasn't a suicide, that he was killed by another inmate. I kept thinking that he got killed downstairs in the front of the, the building, but I found the floor plans of the jail, and that area in the front is actually where the warden would live, and the back part, which was the dining area, was more of the infirmary, and that upstairs were mostly where they kept the inmates housed. And little did I know until we were on our second day there that the, <laughs> yeah, the room I was staying in, room three, was apparently where Ike's body was found. Which is the <laughs> one thing you were trying to avoid. I'm sorry, that's that's hysterical. I typically reserved room three thinking that, okay, it's not that one. But no, it was. Because <laughs> yeah, we totally thought it was the one that I had. That's that's the reason I went with that one. That's uh, yeah. That was at least the idea behind it, yeah. But I will say that while in the room, I, my during my entire trip, I didn't feel scared. Or I mean, it's kind of uneasy after I, you know, realized that I was in the same room, and I did keep the TV on that night. But I didn't really feel, you know, like anything was there with me or that I was threatened, you know, or anyway. I mean, there's always that unnerving feeling knowing that someone died in a room that you're in, but it, I never felt, I did, I did, I felt more calm than I thought I would, I guess. <laughs> I'm just glad none of us decided to try to camp underneath that uh, magnolia tree outside after no. <laughs> finding out on the way out of town that like, oh no, that's where everybody died. Well, what do you mean? Like hundreds of people hung from that tree. Great. Fantastic. Thank you. The cesspool of a potential. <laughs> right. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of potential, and see, here, here's where our little investigation got kind of interesting. Is uh, that first night was relatively slow, relatively quiet. Now, the second day is where it got pretty interesting. You know, we all you know, took our time in the morning. We got up, had coffee, had the breakfast, which was not bad. And um, also, I feel important it to point out... This place is really nice. I mean, like for the the amount that you pay for these rooms, they are absolutely wonderful. You're talking like antique furniture, hardwood floors, immaculately clean. They really, really do take care of this place. Uh, so definitely, like, good find. Whether you're going for the ghosts or not, seriously, just take a weekend, go out there. It's it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, that first room that we stayed in the first time has a family. I mean, it comfortably slept five people, and it was 118 bucks. Yeah. I can't beat that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, especially not in this market. So the second day after we took our time kind of getting rolling in the uh, the morning, we made our way over to the one and only restaurant in town. And by the way, that turkey sandwich is killer. Uh, I will, I cannot remember the name of the place off the top of my head. I mentioned it in the last episode and I will be sure to plug it uh, in the show notes here. The day got really interesting whenever we decided to take a trot over to the visitor's center, and that's when we had the opportunity to finally cross paths with Mike Terrell, who one of the carolers from the night before suggested that I 
reach out to and have a discussion with. Right. I was not expecting <laughs> what happened for the, the following four hours uh, from that. Uh, not only was, was Mike just like a wealth of information, I mean, oh, God, heck, we, we must have hung out in that hallway for at least 45 minutes talking about the history of the town. That's why I wanted to have him on the last episode is there's more than meets the eye when it comes to, to Washington. So all those little tidbits of history that he offered was just, it was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of coming to the end of his workday. The town was kind of shutting down. The sun was slowly starting to descend. And he was kind enough to offer us like, hey, I mean, uh, you know, things are winding down here and won't be able to do this for too long. But would you guys like to go for a little tour? And of course, we were all like, yeah. <laughs> Especially considering most of the buildings, because it was the off season, were all locked and closed mm-hmm. to the. So being able to to get into some places that just us was really accommodating of him. That was really nice. It was incredibly nice, and for our purposes of being there, it was also nice to be in those locations, not with a tourist crowd, but just to actually be there and kind of soak it in for a few minutes. Definitely. I feel like an idiot because I cannot remember the name of the first house that he took us to. Do you remember? The Block Cat's House. Thank you, the Block Cat's House. That's right. it was built in 1832. It was the larger of the homes there because they were kind of well-to-do merchants. In fact, I think it was maybe the only two-story original house. So that was the first location that he brought us to. And I appreciated his approach because he just opened the door and gave a very, very brief history of the place and was like, go, walk around, soak it Mm -hmm. in. Tell me if you pick up on anything here. And um, to be honest, there was some... There were some weird shifts in temperature in that building. Like there were certain rooms and certain spots within rooms that were extremely cold. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think like everybody was so wound up and, and there was this frenetic energy. It was really kind of hard to like sit down and soak in the moment. So I'm sure we would have had a little bit more of an experience had we been able to, to sit there and really soak it in for a little bit. But we were just kind of passing through at that point. The one thing that I did notice totally in, in, in agreement with you is that the um, the temperature in that home, it, it would it would it would go just uh, it, it was a, a, to me a, in summer areas a dramatic shift. I mean, I do remember when we went, it was it was cold, but it was bearable. You know, it wasn't terribly you know uncomfortable. But I do remember that in that home in certain rooms, you, you could just the temp would just drop like really crazy. Yeah, there were almost like these little pockets where uh, it just sucked the warmth right out of the air. And we actually captured that on um, my EMF and temperature meter that I had. Like, we were actually documenting that as we were walking through it, which I found to be pretty fascinating. That's definitely a place that I would like to uh, to do like an overnight or two at, because I, I think if you can actually set up a control system, probably get some interesting stuff there. The next spot that we went to was the blacksmith shop. Now, this one I found interesting because we were told before we even got there that uh, apparently there is some sort of uh, entity or spirit that's a little bit of a trickstery type of like practical joker. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, the staff on the grounds have named it Andrew. That's that's right. Yeah, Andrew. 
Yes, that's yes. And I and just to note too, uh, based on their information with their informational pamphlet, the blacksmith shop that we went to is a non-historic site. It's actually a reproduction of the original shop. And what we went into was actually constructed or or replicated in 1961. But I do believe though that even though the, the structure itself maybe not be original, where we the, the land, you know, the spot where we were at was in fact where it was. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anything is lingering there, it's coming from something long before. And I love the stories that uh, Mike was telling us about how whatever is lurking around here really loves to mess with the blacksmiths because all of them put their stuff back in the exact same spot every time, every day that they do this, never misses a beat. And they'll come in the next day and then all of their stuff is like rearranged or scattered. Yeah. And it's not like it's a bunch of like kids coming in and goofing off when it's locked up. You you, you cannot get in there. It's pretty, you know, so it's not like anyone's coming in in the night, you know, and moving things. It's, I mean, unless they're crawling down that chimney, but I mean, they keep those coals burning. It's probably a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, definitely the blacksmith shop almost had kind of, from from all the accounts, like a playfulness, definitely. Yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, during the time that we were there, like both Mike and I were running several uh, apps on our phones, and we also had several like uh, K2 and EMF meters, and all of those were going off during the time that we were walking through. No huge spikes, but enough to warrant a raised eyebrow or two and be like, well, that's interesting. Yes. Yes. You haven't heard the last episode, but apparently they're going to have a Bowie Heritage Festival. Actually, I think it might be happening this weekend. Okay. What's the reality show of the Forgers? Forged in Fire or yes. something? Yes, yeah, yeah. Some of those guys are going to be there. A couple of uh, other notable metal workers. Uh, it should be pretty interesting. I'm going to see if I can find that info, and I'll put it in the show notes uh, if I can track it down. So after that... That's when we move into the school, and this is where things get really interesting. I like the school, dude. I just, I don't know. <laughs> well, first and foremost, yeah. Jamie, I got to say, you did real good on your very first. Folks, this was Jamie's very first paranormal investigation. You did all right. You did yeah. all right. You actually <laughs> handled, uh, you handled some of the things that I'm about to bring up way better than most people would have on the first go round. So bravo, my friend. Yeah, I'll say it again. I, there's some, I, I do not like that schoolhouse. I was right <laughs> there. Like, there's something, I don't know if it's a mean teacher or something hanging out in there, but I, I just did not like that joint, that place. No. <laughs> well, f philosophically speaking, um, and this is something I'm going to be talking about a lot more in the upcoming season. Is it my, my opinion on what a lot of this anomalous phenomena is, is starting to change. I'm not really so sure that we're looking at uh, ghosts and spirits. Uh, maybe we're actually kind of like, imagine time as a record that keeps skipping on the needle, something like that. Yeah. But there is definitely something, probably many things going on in that school. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was a hub of human activity for a considerable amount of time. And I mean, it was original structure. It, it, it says here that it is historic. It was original. And it says uh, 1914. So That's when it was built? 
that according to the structure we went to was was built in 1914. It may have replaced a more primitive structure that okay. was there. What we went into was 1914. Right. So, folks, just to give you a, a, a basic description of this so you can understand what we were walking into, and then we'll, we'll explain what happened within these walls. It's a two-story structure. It's a schoolhouse, and it is... Uh, it was actually set up as a boarding schoolhouse. So you had uh, several rooms that were just long lines of bunk beds. And then uh, there is the, the super creepy hallway in between the two rooms with the bucket, uh, the bunk beds that were just nothing but lockers. <laughs> Something about that hallway creeped me out. I, I'm not going to lie. That old building creeped me out. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's a fair assessment. And uh, in the upstairs, you have a lot more classrooms and a couple of, like, large group rooms. There was even an art room set up there. And uh, I believe that the building out back, that was a chapel, I think. An auditorium was in the building, too, that area that had that stage. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which was super cool. (laughs) Yeah. And super creepy. You know, at this point, I've, I've been going on paranormal investigations for several years now. And you and I have talked about this. Like, it seems like I just... I pop the top on something, and now I don't know how to put the lid back on. Things just keep happening. And at this point, when I walk into a place that might be charged with some of this anomalous energy, I tend to pick up on it pretty quick. Right. It took me maybe a total of a minute and a half of walking into that building for me to look back at Mike and then look back at you, I think. And I was like, we are definitely not alone here. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we walked in there, it, it, the, the, the tone totally shifted. At least it did for me. I mean, yeah. it was, and it wasn't like the jailhouse where we kind of felt at ease and non-threatening or it just was like kind of going through the motions. When I walked in there, I felt like I was in a place that I was not supposed to be, you know, that I was kind of like that kid trespassing in a on property that I wasn't supposed to be on. Like, Interesting. I, 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 I felt like as soon as we walked in, like, should we like be walking around? You know, I was just, you know, it, it was totally that vibe for me. And I do remember it didn't take but maybe a minute. You did look back at me and you were just like, hmm, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? At that point, we all kind of broke off. Uh, you know, Mike was wandering around with most of us and just giving us uh, tidbits of history as we were walking through. And we were just kind of exploring and, and soaking the place in. Eventually, I ended up finding myself upstairs. I think you ended up meeting me up there at one point or another where we started to hear this series of weird noises. Yes, it was upstairs. Yes. And that was moving through like two or three rooms, right? It kept bouncing back and forth. Yeah. And in fact, me and you, I think we're, we're trying to figure out if people, if so, if someone else in our party had came up there. Because we were hearing so many things off of one each other. And then we quickly realized that, no, we're the only two up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody else was downstairs. And yeah, yeah. so we were hearing these creaks. And, you know, in any other case, you could have passed it off as like, you know, old wooden structure, yeah. settling, things like that. But the way that it was uh, almost in a rhythm when it would come around, that this little bump and click that would yeah. happen. The rhythm of it was not, it wasn't your normal, just old wood popping. No. Kind of. no. There was method to the madness. Yes. It was, yeah. <laughs> and eventually that led us to going back downstairs to meet up with everybody else. And I think right around then is where I 
I introduced the vast majority of you all to your first, um, holy crap moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can see you cringing as I'm talking about this, so I'll try to make this brief. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> when we came back downstairs, uh, as I said, there were these two rooms off to the right side of this hallway that were uh, a series of bunk beds. And then there was another hallway in between that had the lockers. But the very first room that had the bunk beds, which was directly on the right as soon as we walked in through the back door, as soon as we came downstairs, I felt something pulling me there. I don't know how any of this works. I just follow my intuition at this point. And at this point, I think I'm becoming a, a human dowsing rod for weirdness. I, but you know what? I'll take it. I'll run with that. It's a better career path than being a chef, I can tell you that much. <laughs> so I decided to just go into this room, and I leaned up against the wall, and I sank down on the floor, and I just sat, breathed, and watched. And it took maybe about five minutes for my eyes to adjust and kind of get used to everything around me, and that's when I started, folks at home, you know me well at this point, you know what I mean when I say moving shadows. And so I started to pick up on this, and that's when I called all of the rest of you in there. And I'm like, okay, all right, everybody line up against the wall. Turn off your phones. Turn off all your lights. Let your eyes adjust. And I want you to take a look at that tiny little sliver of light that's coming through that blind right there. And just let your eyes re relax and see if you pick up anything on the periphery of your vision. Mm-hmm. At that point, the two friends that we had with us, I hear a, oh, I hear a, Ugh, and then I hear Jamie say, nope, out. Like that movie that, nope, you know. It's nope. Like, <laughs> nope, nope. And, and the reason I said that, too, was because you and Mike were doing the, the, you had the app on your phone where the different words were coming. Right, yeah, yeah. And it was a multitude of words, and, like, right when I thought I saw something kind of, to the right of you is when you said, oh, demon. I was like, no. <laughs> okay. So I was like, not today, Satan, not no, today. <laughs> ah, see, I love this though. I have used that same app and, and some actual like hard equipment that is like the, the app is a knockoff of a whole different, um, paranormal investigation device called the Ovilus. Mm -hmm. And I've used one of those before on the regular. I keep getting demon Every damn time I use a thing. And here's my theory on that. Either the app and the software is rigged to make you scared or whatever's lurking around in the shadows with you is really just wanting to poke fun at you and see how far they can go. If that was the case, it didn't take long for him to see that that I was an easy one to break. Like, I'll go with you in the into the belly of the beast all day, but the second I'm just like uneasy about something, unless I birthed you and you're my child, <laughs> I will. I'm leaving you. You know, <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, all your is ass and elbows. That's all you're going to see because I'm going to run. I mean, I'm just being honest. I love you, Killian. We go back a quarter of a century. But if something were to really go down, I'm leaving. Oh, I, I know. And I would look over my shoulder and be like, all right, sister, see you later. Meanwhile, I'm walking further into the shadows. <laughs> I mean, I'm leaving. Unless you're my kid that I birthed, you know, I'll go up against anything. But anybody else, I mean, I'm I'm pushing Mike down. I mean, you're left. I mean, I'm, I'm out of there. I mean, God. Once Classic. I get out. My damnedest to try to get help but 
I'm not the hero. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, there's no need to be hero. You just got to figure out how to talk to them and they just leave you alone. And uh, speaking of which, that's actually where it ended up going. So for a while, everybody just kind of lurked around on that uh, on that first floor. But eventually, I made my way over to the chair on the opposite side of the room where we were seeing these shadows move. And I just planted my ass in the seat and just sat and waited. And that's when I started to see the shadow of the kid off in the left corner. Yeah, that would have been your left, which when, when I was in the room and I saw... It would saw, have been your right, yeah. Yeah, it would have been my right. And it was the same area that I saw what I thought was a shadow and got kind of freaked out. When you sat down, it was that exact same area. Mm-hmm. It manifested itself in a shape of a little kid. Like, it, it definitely looked... It looked like a, a 8 or 10-year-old boy peeking around the bedpost looking at me. And that's when yeah. I started to extend my hand and I'm... Yeah, it was all at all it was clearly the shape of a of a small child you yeah know, like definitely and that's when i started to reach my hand out i'm like you want to you come out and say hi buddy come on no reason to be afraid but it wouldn't move from that area it just kept swaying back and forth a little bit sticking its head out and putting it back in you know to this day i i all of you listening at home when I talk about this stuff, one of these days I really do hope I am able to capture footage for all of you who are so desperately hungry for it. But I have to be honest that if you're really going to take this stuff seriously, the evidence is not the point of this. It's not the point. The point is to realize that your reality is a little bit deeper than you originally thought. And I think that's really the whole purpose behind this is we're not supposed to be proving anything. Um, you can, you can try that till you're blue in the faith. You will, you will die before you figure that out. <laughs> anyway, things were not slowing down at that place at all. It was pretty consistently active from the moment that we, we got in there and stirred stuff up, whether it was footsteps upstairs, shadows moving all around us. Um, the I heard one or two disembodied voices, like I heard a hey once or twice, mm-hmm. um, that definitely, like, nobody else was in the room with me. I felt like, to me, like, I definitely, that um, the auditorium that was upstairs, I didn't want to stay in that room very much because, like, I will say I didn't really hear anything in there, but it, there there was a lot of, to me, it felt like pressure, yeah. like it. I didn't, I didn't really feel comfortable in there. And I think Mike may have picked up a few things with his app as I was leaving the room, because that was, that was definitely one room that I didn't really hear or see any shadows or anything. But just like you said, a lot of it's not even something that you would consider evidence. It's just what you kind of feel. Yeah. But, and then that room, like, I don't know. Like I felt a lot of pressure in there and I felt like in some of those rooms, there was like a very childlike feeling, you know, cause it's a school, you know, you kind of like, just like you, the, the, the shadow was almost the shape of a child. And in mm-hmm. some situations it seemed like it was like a kid just playing with you kind of thing. But in that particular room, I can remember not feeling a kid. I mean, I can remember like feeling like, okay, this ain't, this ain't a kid playing around like, there was a very dominating kind of force in there. And that's what interested me about that room was because that was also the only room where I'd never did feel that childlike presence. 
which made me kind of even feel like, I mean, the, the, if there's ghosts in here, even the kid ghosts are like, screw that. You know, <laughs> like they're not even in there, <laughs> you know, like. See, that's, no, that's, that's interesting. Cause like, I, while I didn't necessarily uh, divide it up room by room as you were sensing it, I was definitely feeling a considerable difference in, in just the mood from the first floor to the second. Second oh, floor was heavy as hell. Yes, the second floor. In fact, I didn't stay up in the second floor very much, but the second floor downstairs was kind of, you know, childlike. And it was now granted, I did the infamous nope, you know, but, you know, I well, didn't see, really. You yeah, know, but I didn't, that, that wasn't like intense or threatening. I think no. what's going down on that first floor is a lot. I think that's why it's so intense and overwhelming is that I think there's a lot of different energies running through that place. I don't think it was just like uh, the imprint of one kid down there. I think we were dealing with a group of them. I didn't feel that upstairs at all. No, definitely but, not. Upstairs, yeah, upstairs was cold and empty. Yeah, upstairs I felt really uncomfortable. It felt like the best way I could say it is like if you had an elephant on your chest, like it was very pressured. It was very just weird vibes, very dominating. I felt no childlike presence, no kind of playfulness, no. And that's what interests me, you know, when I got back out of the building in, in, in its entirety was that even up there, it wasn't the, the absence of that childlike feeling too was kind of interesting to me because I was thinking to myself, well, it's hard to explain, but I was thinking, you know, that I wasn't even alone in my thinking that that clearly something or someone is in charge up here. And they had a very dominating, and that could have been an old teacher, an old dormitory, uh, RA type, who knows? I don't know. It's the headmistress. <laughs> yeah, I definitely <laughs> didn't, especially in that auditorium. I didn't really that audit. I, I specifically remember the auditorium. I didn't feel easy at all on that second floor, but in that in that particular room, I did not want to stay in there very long. And in that room was where Mike's app was kind of going crazy. And I don't remember specifically what the words were, but I do remember that the total childlike feel of it was gone. I mean, it was like there was none of it. Oh, so you got one of those like really, really snooty um, performing uh, art teachers. That's that's what it was. It oh, was I, it, I bet they very, put those kids through hell. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at that point in the evening, we had uh, lurked around, and I think that's an appropriate way of putting uh, lurking around the schoolhouse for uh, about an hour or so. And we slowly started to make our way out, in part because we didn't want to take up Mike's entire evening, and also because it was getting so incredibly dark that um, <laughs> we could barely see anything. Uh, there is no light pollution out there in Washington, so when, when the sun goes down, man, it gets really dark. Agree. Very dark. <laughs> yeah. So after that, we all parted ways and made our way back to our original location, which was the uh, the bed and breakfast, or the old jailhouse. And we decided to do a, another Estes session, this time up in your room, since we found out that, surprise, surprise, that's actually where Ike perished. <laughs> so. I know, lucky the most nervous one on the trip was blessed with that room. But, mm -hmm. but you know what's kind of odd is I, I got to thinking about it um, after we last spoke. And I didn't really think about it at the time. But it occurred to me that, well, that's weird. Is that when, when Jason, when my husband and my kids and I all went the first time, I kept thinking that something happened on that first floor. Particularly since 
near the second room, which was where you stayed. Mm-hmm. So while we were there, I constantly, you know, in the back of my mind, kept thinking that that was the location that was probably, if anything, would be the most active if we, if we were to ever come back. But then it was weird. I got to thinking about it. And when we left the jail, my family and I, I kind of sat there in that entranceway by myself just for a moment alone while everyone was putting things in the car. And I kind of muttered to myself and perhaps out loud, I was like, I'll, I'll figure out the story. And when I said that to myself, I vividly remember now that I looked up at the stairway to that third room area. And at the time, I didn't think anything about it because I was under the impression that everything was downstairs. But then when I got to thinking about it, I was like, you know, that's weird that it did happen in the third room. It did happen to happen to be the room I got assigned to. But then I thought on that, too, that, well, that was kind of weird that upon exiting that first time, and I kind of, I guess, verbally out loud said, I'll figure it out. You know, I instinctively, you know, looked up to that room before I closed the door and left, you know, very dramatic movie moment, I guess. But it didn't occur to me until really a couple of days ago when we last spoke that I was like, well, that was weird that I instinctively kind of made my comment and then looked at that room, which mm. I thought, you know, at the time I didn't it. But, but now I was like, well, that was kind of a weird coincidence, but I don't know, really nothing important. It was just kind of, I just thought about that. I said, that was weird that upon leaving and I verbally committed to trying to figure out the story that I subconsciously instantly glazed, glanced up to that room, which I thought that was kind of weird. It later was the room. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I'll tell you, there is, there's something to that. And see, this is why I keep saying that, um, you know, the further I look into all of this stuff, like whether it's ghosts, UFOs, whatever, that I, I really do believe that consciousness plays a, a massive part in it. And uh, and therefore, so does your subconscious or the collective unconsciousness or, or you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's no surprise to me that, you know, your gaze was just kind of drawn to that area when you said that. That's honestly the way these things work. And it's really easy to pass it off as just something mundane or as a coincidence. But there's a there's a word that we use for it in this, you know, this madness that we're all obsessed with, and that's synchronicity. And mm-hmm. um, that's that's definitely synchronicity. You were drawn to look up into that area, and then now you're thinking about it all this time later. Because ultimately, what brought us there is that you kind of had, you know, your spidey sense was tingling, and you thought that there was a story to be told there. Correct. Yes. Yes. And I still, to this day, upon researching, I don't really think that we maybe have solved the story at, by any stretch of the means. But I do think that that we held up our end of the bargain by at least finding a little bit more out about this particular person, i.e. Ike Evans. Um, still don't really have complete closure on what we think happened. I mean, I have my own theory, but I'm sure we'll get into all that later yeah. on. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I mean, obviously we, we have our theories because we, uh, well, we, we had some woo woo stuff happening, happen throughout the course of this that made us raise an eyebrow or at least be curious, uh, curious enough to dig a little bit further. And, um, that ended up culminating with the very last experiment that we did on this trip, which is we decided to do another Estes session in your room where Ike died. Right. 
And there were a couple of weird things that I want to point out before we actually talk about the the back and forth that ended up happening there is uh, let's let's talk about and see here we go. It seems mundane, but here we go with uh, with synchronicities again. The whole thing with the ladybugs. Yes, that was really weird because for people that maybe I don't know in other parts of the country, but I know down here in the south that when you when you have a like really shift in the weather, like what you call an Indian summer, you know, like kind of a at my house anyway, ladybugs come out like crazy and particularly kind of congregate in the corner of a room. And when I say, I'm not talking like a handful, it's usually like massive bunches of them because I guess the, the, the weird climate change kind of throws them off and they think it's time to come out and be ladybugs, you know, but that happens a lot down here. And I've noticed that it happens at my home in particular, when you have kind of those little fake summer, instances but in this situation we saw like so many of them it reminded me of that but that was not the case temp like it was still very much december (laughs) oh no no and let's not forget this this last winter was we had that brutal series of storms it was just one cold wave after another and during the time that we were in washington i mean it was hitting like 30 some degrees outside for the most part i mean not during the day but at night (laughs) whatsoever <laughs> what, what was that it's no fake summer whatsoever it was not it, it was cold yeah you know? yeah, yeah. So, yeah that was odd there was an odd amount of ladybugs in that room it remind me i don't really think they were i can't remember if we saw them that much anywhere else but i just know no. that when we up there it was a lot yeah we know we didn't see any in any other room as a matter of fact like after we we got done with the session like i went down to our room downstairs into the parlor into the back area i saw no ladybugs anywhere else and what i found really interesting and we commented about this i think i even have the audio for it and if i do i'll, I'll plug it in right here um <laughs> but there was this uh there was this moment where um uh, when we got done with the session and we looked back up at the light fixture, um, either me or you just kind of cocked our heads and we we're like, I'm pretty sure there was only like three or four up there when we looked last time. And then it was like 12. Like yeah, it was a lot. Yes. And there wasn't any there the night prior when I stayed there, you know, the, the, the evening prior when I went to sleep, I didn't notice. I would have noticed that many flying around because they kind of aggravate you because they play yeah. with the lights and they. They're they're just little. They don't do you any harm, but you notice them for sure. Mm. And I did not notice it first night. That second night, they were definitely, definitely there. And they were multiplying. I mean, that's the craziest thing. And again, like if if uh, if we found them anywhere else in the house, I would have like not bad an eye. I would have been like, oh, you know, I guess they built a nest up in here before uh, winter came and just froze everything. Mm. But no, that was that was incredibly strange. Yes. And the amount, the amount, the, the the quantity of them in the short amount of time, because when we all went up there, we saw some and that kind of striked our interest. But then I do remember that as we went on with our experiment, it, even in that little span of time, it was like they more than tripled, mm-hmm. you know. And so, Yes, definitely a good observation, even though it might be simple. It's something to wonder, like, well, what was that about, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, that's that's the thing. You have to keep an objective point of view. And, yes, it, there could probably be a very easy explanation for it. But the timing of it and uh, the, the fact that it was enough of a it was enough of a crowd to notice, 
It was just mm-hmm. it, 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 something was off about that. So Definitely. anyway, we we end up getting uh, settled in, and we attempt this second round in Nesta session. And you know, like most of all of the times that uh, we do this, uh, you know, first half of it is usually pretty slow, pretty quiet. And um, Jamie, this was your first time ever attempting anything like this in, in your life. So I'm yeah. curious. Yeah, I'm curious about what you you thought about the process. Well, I do know that it it it. I don't want to use the word scare. It didn't scare me, but it it did kind of freak me out when we first started in my room. Remember your equipment, the battery drain, mm. like this turned it on. I mean, we hadn't even started yet, and I was like, "Well, that was weird," you know. So that was kind of like my opener of it. But I thought it was interesting. It's definitely not being someone who's never done them. I was kind of expecting all these bells and whistles and I quickly learned that it is a slow process, that it's not going to be instant type of feedback. So at that point, I kind of learned to be patient with it and know that it might take some time if any, if anything even happens. But to me, just as a someone still on the fence about everything, it, it was interesting to me because it seemed to open a dialogue, which I thought was really interesting. And some things like you said came out and it was just off the wall random and didn't have any sense or logic to it. But then in brief little intervals, there seemed to be like a real conversation kind of going back and forth and not a conversation like you and I are having now, but little pieces of words would come that when you put them together would, would kind of in a primitive sense be a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's truly unique experience. The first few times I did it, not gonna lie, totally weirded me out. Um, but then I really got used to the process. And um, like when I when I'm playing the uh, the receiver, the listener, I typically kind of go into like a meditative or trance like state. Um, I just kind of sink into the static. And it took me a while to like really get used to it. That was the best way to describe it. You remember those really, really terrible pictures that you would find at the the art stands in the middle of the malls, and it was all the trippy colors, and you you have to look through the picture to see the hidden image in it? Oh, yeah, the little, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would compare being the receiver to the similar thing, but for your ears. You got to kind of relax and, and listen past the static. Mm-hmm. And if you just kind of loosen yourself up enough, then uh, you might get lucky, and you might get some words that form. And you are 100% correct. If you go back and listen to any of these, it feels like there's a dialogue going on, but it's only snippets of it. Like you're walking through a cocktail party and only catching fractions of somebody's conversations, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're lucky enough, then on occasion you'll lock into something that kind of sort of makes sense. And the feeling that I was getting, at least from the back and forth that we were happening, is let's say in theory that we were actually talking to Ike. Right. The feeling that I get is that if that was Ike really talking to us, he was trying to tell us that he did not kill himself, that somebody else took him down and made suggestions on who it is. We even have a name that we're going to have to dig into. And, and you know, maybe we can uncover this mystery a little bit. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to say it was like Brad. It was it was a very, very white boy name, like Brad Anderson or something like that. Remember a name. And, and I think I don't know if. I kept wanting to say I remember an Adam or something, but yes. That, like, Brian Adams. That's what it was. Yeah, because yeah, I, I remember it as like the terrible singer. That's what it was. Yeah, it was Brian Adams. Yeah. Not even a white boy name, a Canadian name, you know? Eh? 
<laughs> What's this all about? Yeah. Let's pick the whitest of whites. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I do remember the name, and that, and and I remember when the name got said. That was the same Bob I got. Was that maybe this is a name that we need to look up? You know, I mean, they're not just giving it out for no reason, but. I totally got the vibe after your session that that your theory is correct, which is what I was going to talk about later, is that I, I believe that he was murdered. And and that was definitely, I think, the vibe that came in through that session. I did not get any sort of indication that, hey, I just soft myself, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. I just think he did. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, not, not to... <laughs> Don't don't take this the wrong way, Ike. If you're out there listening, kind of sounds like he had it coming to him. After like from what we know about him, he wasn't a nice guy. He was a little bit of a demon. Um, but either way it goes, you know that's that's still fascinating. It's still something worth looking into. Now, I, what I found really uh, amazing was didn't Brian Adams? That name came through twice, and that's why it stuck out. Like the first time, it was very separated, like Brian. Then a few minutes later. Adams, and then mm -hmm. towards the end, we got them both in one shot, I think. I think you're right. I do think that it came up more than once, maybe two, three at the most, but it definitely the name came up more than once. Yeah. That that essentially just, like, now this case is still left open, and this is something that obviously I'm going to be returning back to. Now, what I'm hoping to do is, you know, since I'm going to be uh, transporting the Black Lodge a little bit further south here uh, later this year, I plan on going back to Washington sometime within the next year or so and hoping to uh, to revisit all of it again and maybe actually dig into some of the historical papers if the uh, the historical society will work with us on that. Because I would love to see some of those uh, the letters that Ike wrote. And I'd also like to do a little bit of research on the staff and, and um, citizens of the town that were there during that time frame and see if that name matches up with anyone. That's the only thing that was told to us that would still give you a little bit of doubt that maybe it was suicide was that we were told that letters Ike sent to his wife indicated that he made several statements like, I know I'm kind of in a bond here, but they're not going to get the best of me kind of thing that, that I would, you know, for lack of wording, kill myself before you know, I'll let them do it kind of thing. And they said that that was the tone in his letters. I would be curious to see those letters just to see if that really was the case. Um, but I don't, and I, I, I like, I don't buy that he committed suicide. I don't pretend to know who this Ike guy was, but based on the news articles I found of him and what little bit of glitz, gl glimpse we have into him as a person, he comes off to me as kind of just this rowdy little redneck, you know, that I feel perhaps even though he was 69 when he went in there that last time that he probably didn't take a whole lot of crap off people. The fact that he in an argument shoots his own nephew and <laughs> and, 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 and because he was trying to you know, he shoots his brother because he was trying to hit his nephew, he an arrow shot his brother. I mean, this is a guy that. I think when he gets upset, he kind of goes in a rage. And I just envisioned that maybe he was there with some younger inmates and they were kind of pushing some buttons and he was like, to hell with you, you know, kind of, he just comes off to me as a guy that 
is in a corner in a bar that that may be the old guy, but he's still going to get a little, you know, crawl if necessary kind of thing. To me, the, the, the idea that he was murdered fits more to the, what we have found about him because he seems to be a guy that was a little rouser. He, you know, he, he was a fighter. He Any guy that shoots an own family member sure as hell ain't going to take no crap off a 20-something-year-old, you know, fellow inmate. And I just get the vibe that maybe some inmates and him, it was that, you know, alpha, dom, you know, the alpha dog kind of trying to, you know, gain a place and i think that he maybe reacted and and what happened happened that's my theory i think he just probably had a little mouth and a little temper on him and he wasn't going to take any crap it, it just kind of escalated and led to murder and these other inmates were like well, we've got to make this look like an accident kind of thing so hey you know let's let's make it look like a hanging like he hung himself you know well that's, that's what i think <laughs> that's that's an interesting theory but but just and again, you know, this is all postulation because we don't have enough data, folks out there. So, so like, before you start rolling your eyes and go like, oh, now you're just throwing spaghetti to the wall. Yeah, of course, that's what we're going to do because we don't have all the data yet. But you can expect us to dig further into this. I'm kind of thinking or I'm picking up the vibe like. We, we know that Ike was a, a career troublemaker <laughs> for, for lack oh, yeah. of a bit. Yeah, that was his that was his whole life. He had been in and out of jail too many times to count. So that doesn't seem like the type of person who's going to go gently, you know. And I yeah. think, I think so you mentioned the, the letter that was sent. I wanted to say that the, his final line was something along the lines of, um, I'm not going to state or I'm not going to, like, I think they were trying to move him to another prison, right? Wasn't that... Uh, I think that the wheels were in motion to maybe move him somewhere else because according to the pamphlets that they market, he died in um, December of 1922. Well, based on the article I found of his uh, newspaper article of his arrest and deposit into Washington jail, it was December 2nd, 1922. So if he dies in December, he was put in there in December there's a really short time frame, so that would totally support that theory that he was probably in the very beginning stages, like a preliminary hearing, kind of going passed around, transferred. His death happened not very long after his arrest, so it wasn't like he was sitting in the jail for months. Right. The other part of that that stands out to me is the last thing that he was arrested for was kept pretty vague off of the books, and it kind of hinted towards some sort of a, uh, an assault. Yes. Uh, towards a woman. Very much. His stepdaughter, as a matter of fact. Yes. I, I can't believe we haven't really mentioned here in this, in this talk here is that I also found that he was a former constable of the area. Wait, what? So let's keep in mind, too, that he was being put in a jail where he was perhaps surrounded by people he himself helped put in jail. So, I mean, that's just a recipe for friction. And that would be one reason you'd want to quickly get him out of there, too, because you want your prison environment, as crazy and chaotic as it is, you want it to have some sort of order. So, to me, I would be like, we got to get this guy out of here, you know? I mean, so-and-so's in there, and he put him in there, a year, you know, something like that. So, I can see where the, the urgency to get him out of there would have really much been, I think, with jail official, officials, a priority because you don't want to stick 
a man in a population that he may have contributed getting there. I mean, that's just the door for uneasiness and disorder. And, and so, yes, that would be one reason you'd quickly want to get him out of there. And if that was his concern being moved, it very much to me would be probably the reason was that he was put in a population that he kind of helped put there. And then it leads into the other theory that you can understand why there might be some uh, tension, you know, with some of the inmate populations in him. Right. But I'm, I, you know, personally, I'm kind of leaning a little bit further away from the, the idea of, of the inmate population taking him down because of his history and the fact that he was in and out so many times. And the last thing that he goes in for is assault. Mm-hmm. My thought is somebody comes knocking on the door and saying, warden, we're going to get ours tonight. And the warden just kind of turns his back and said, I saw nothing. A lynch mob mentality. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, especially if you're talking about a very, very small town, and especially during in that time frame, uh, where honor is important, people are close-knit. I mean, it's it wouldn't be the first time that uh, that people came to take somebody out and the whole town just goes very quiet about it, you know? Right. Yeah, the, the reason for his arrest opens the door to so many possibilities because he wasn't in there for you know, theft or burglary or even... Which he had many times before. Yeah, I mean, he was in there this last time for what we believe, and correct me if you don't think that's right, for sexually assaulting his stepdaughter. Yep. Um, Because I, based on that article, when they picked him up, he was wanted, on his warrant for his arrest was for disturbing the peace, disorderly conduct, and... Uh, I think assault, but I'm not sure. But I do remember reading in the article that he was wanted for kind of just being a rouser kind of thing. And then based on that article, when they started questioning the stepdaughter, that's when she then admitted to these various assaults. So keep that in mind, too. He was picked up for a crime, yes, but based on the newspaper article, the knowledge of this assault upon the stepdaughter, I think, came about at that point when they started questioning her. So it was a very, you know, rushed kind of investigation kind of thing. And, and motions can run high. So that theory that you have, I can totally believe that because I mean, here we are, we're picking up a guy that's got a lengthy criminal history. We later find out, well, he's been assaulting his stepdaughter and the heat of that, that lynch mob mentality. I could see where that fire would quickly get ignited. in in that particular moment. So your theory, I think, is totally believable because it seemed to be made aware of with the town itself kind of at that moment. So totally understandable if emotions got high and they were like knocking on the door for his head. Totally can see that happening. Yeah. It's totally a hypothesis for now. It's just, uh, it's what my intuition is kind of hinting at. And this is why, you know, again, this, you know, this this is not case closed. Eventually you and I are going to come back and we're going to touch on this. Um, cause I, I will be making a trip out to Washington, see if I can get my hands on some of those letters, um, you know, get them word for word, get a little bit more of analysis of it and see if I can dig up some more of the history of the population of that time period and see if we can't get a little bit further with this because the, the whole back and forth that happened in that room on that second night when we tried the Estes session, it really did seem like we were getting somewhere. And, um, 
even you felt, and you know, again, this is your first attempt at a paranormal investigation or doing anything like this. Even you felt that you you were able to pick up on some breadcrumbs and like there's a little bit more to this to discover. Definitely, definitely, a hundred percent. I don't think that that was a slam dunk. We're done here, kind of thing. I think that that a return is necessary, and I think there's a a lot more to to be uncovered. Um, the whole town, I mean, the whole community, you could spend a week there probably. I mean, there's just so much history there that there's so much there besides just Ike. You know, I mean, it's it's a lot going on in that whole town there. It's almost like it's a little capsule, you know. So, yeah, even venturing away from the story of Ike, I mean, there's 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 so all kinds of stuff you could find there. Oh, yeah. The next time I go back, I, uh, I do want to plan like a, a three to four day stay. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously spend most of the time in the bed and breakfast because it's cheap, it's quaint, and who knows, maybe we can talk to Ike some more. Uh, but I would, I would love to do at least one overnight investigation of that school. You know, get a group of about 10 investigators together. Everybody breaks off into small groups and we run a few experiments throughout the course of the night because, you know, the bed and breakfast was amazing, but that school is calling to me, my friend. I want to go back there because there, there's something there. It's so weird that I went to the jail thinking that was going to be this kind of hot spot of uneasiness. And I'll, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I never really felt anything off base at the jail. I, I, I definitely felt we were there to un- research and uncover the story. But even staying in the room where it happened, I did not feel, you know, frightened or uneasy at all. I slept very well that night, believe it or not. It was but the school was definitely the opposite. Um, I didn't like being in the school. I definitely didn't feel very comfortable there. And I thought that was kind of odd that I was okay at the jail in a room where someone died. But I got, you know, I got the freaks when I went to a schoolhouse. You know, I don't, I, I thought that was kind of weird, but it is what it is. No, it's not weird at all. That's it, look, that's just the paranormal experience for you. If you add a school and kids into it, it's automatically creepy. We've all seen Children of the Corn, you know, Village of the Damned. <laughs> kids are creepy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you don't, you think that stops when they're dead? No, it gets weirder. These <laughs> damn kids. You know? Right. A testament to that. Whenever, uh, whenever we were at Waverly Hills and we went up to the fifth floor nursery, we had some kid walking, like we were all sitting on the floor in a circle and we had some spirit walking around that every few seconds would be tapping Walker on the head. Like it's playing duck, duck goose. And eventually it was to the point, it was like, God, you, y'all are just awful. Leave me alone. <laughs> He's being bullied. <laughs> yeah, he really was. They, they were, they were picking on him. Um, yeah, kids are, kids are mean, man. It d- doesn't stop when they become ghosts. And I don't think it was really the kids at the schoolhouse because I know when I was in there, it was almost kind of playful, you know, on that first floor. I think that the, the, the creeper there is 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 an is an older figure because <laughs> that second floor was where it felt really really just uneasy and I got the total vibe of kind of that mean school teacher kind of thing mm-hmm. because I just felt like whatever it was on that second floor that was kind of sucking all the energy out of the room was somebody that was a very dominating force that likes to keep things under their thumb like be in control. 
And I don't think it was a kid at all. I think that weird feeling I had was some sort of older, you know, spirit. Because with the kids, it's kind of like what you said. It just felt kind of playful and curious. And But the there's definitely, I would be interested to see. And correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't we told that an investigation happened at the school before and that they picked up a lot on a former music teacher or something. Isn't that what Mike said that there was? Yes. What, or, or am I not thinking right? Is no, that I, right? that's, but, that's ringing a bell. I, unfortunately we didn't touch on that um, in the previous episode, but again, like we're going to be going back. So as, as you know, we're definitely going to be continuing on this, this narrative of figuring out Ike's story, but uh, the next time I go back, I'm going to split my focus and we're going to put a little bit more time into the school and uh, talk to Mike a little bit more about the history there. But yes, you are right. I do believe he said something about that. Which would make sense because I felt the most uneasy in the auditorium, which if there is a dominating music teacher, like you said, mm. it, it may be a drama teacher. I don't know. It's so many what ifs, but. Oh, there's nothing worse than getting those Juilliard, uh, the the Juilliard dropouts who return to their small town and become the high school drama teachers, and they, like they they run their theaters like fascists. It's just, I mean, we grew up in Natchez, Mississippi. We knew what it was like. Or uh, 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 uh. <laughs> you always had that one teacher that was made for Broadway and just mm. couldn't quite couldn't quite get there, and they were pissed off. So. <laughs> They're so angry, and they just take it out on the kids, man. <laughs> work, you know, but whatever. Right. <laughs> it was creepy as hell, though. I did not like that auditorium. Like, it was one of those places at the schoolhouse where you walked in, and it felt like just all the air got sucked out of the room. It was, it was a weird vibe in there. So if y'all go back, I would hope to be with y'all and, and accompany y'all, but I would definitely focus on that auditorium. That room was creepy. That was it. It was colder in there. The air, the pressure, it was tighter in there. And that playful spirit almost like stopped at the door. I mean, it was something's going on in that auditorium. Which is really weird because you would figure going into the community theater area would be rousing and, and bring up like, you know, more positive energy. But no, you're right. It is very much like a vacuum. You go in there and it's colder and it's darker than it feels like it feels darker than it really is. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that place is a vacuum. And then upstairs is just heavy, but everything upper level is you're right. That whole upper level, the, the, it, it, it's, it shifts incredibly. It, it's definitely a night and day experience in that, in that building from the first in the upper floor. Yeah. So you can guarantee that we will be hitting that back up sometime in the near future. Well, Jamie, I uh, I thank you so much for putting this on my radar, and thanks for accompanying me for this this little adventure. I, I wanted to ask you, like, you know, given the fact this was your first investigation and uh, your first you know field work with me, I would just like to hear any closing thoughts or uh, feelings or ideas or theories, hypotheses that you have. Um, I really enjoyed it uh, going into it. Has is when I first reached out reached out to you and started getting involved with the Waverly investigation. Um, I'm a sucker for the research part of it. I like it, it's almost like it's a game. I like trying to find the missing pieces. So that part of of investigation 
is is really interesting to me the finding the backstory and the research and I really enjoy that part because that's parts that I know without a doubt is are real and it's concrete and you're kind of peeling a band-aid off to 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 really kind of get to the the bottom of something I like that part a lot and I found that the real stuff is actually to me sometimes creepier than maybe what you you experience during actual investigations. I mean, if you, if, if you want to get real freaked out, you know, it, it's the truth that, that's stranger than fiction sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the actual investigation part, I um, I still feel like very much a rookie because I am, and I have a problem going into it at Washington that I think I made myself hear some things that maybe weren't really there because it was just me you know, just being human, thinking of certain things. I think I need to polish my skills off on that to be a little bit more quiet in my head and and listen instead of trying to kind of make things sound a certain way. Um, But one thing I did note is that it is a, it's a very lengthy process. Um, I went into it kind of thinking that these things would happen rather quickly and suddenly. And I quickly found out that this takes a while. So I've learned definitely that to be ready for, you know, have patience for sure. Definitely have patience. It's not like the movies where you go in and there's instant feedback, you know. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, definitely need to be a little bit more patient. But overall, I think like kind of what we touched on earlier, it's almost like you're connecting two points. And I think that part's really interesting. Whether you believe it or not, you can't deny some of the the coincidences that happen and I uh, think uh, nothing uh, else synchronicities <laughs> synchronicities <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but I, it's the joining of two 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 points that i find very interesting and it, and it allows dialogue and interaction to happen that otherwise maybe wouldn't and i think that part is really really cool and i think that's interesting because and when you come home, you start looking around thinking, like, I wonder what's around me. <laughs> you know, it's like you never know what's what's brewing around you kind of thing. You just never know. But and I'm still kind of on the fence about some things, but I'm, I'm more kind of itching my leg over it to go to that side that, that there is very much, you know, something to think about there. But. But I think patience would have to be my my big thing is I need to learn to have patience and I need to learn to get the noise out of my head when you go into them. So I definitely need to work on that if I ever go on another one. Oh, you certainly will. I'll drag you out, especially since I'll be down south for a while. Um, but, you know, whenever I first started talking about this on the show and about our experiences, one thing that I always try to remind everyone about this is 90% of the time, nothing happens. 90% of the time, it's just you hanging out with your friends in a dark room, whispering or talking very quietly and just waiting. Definitely that first night, I would say that. We had a few things happen that first night that were noteworthy, but when I called my husband to check in, he was expecting me to have some riveting report, you know, and I was like, eh, it's kind of, you know, chill, it's kind of quiet, you know, but I think that's just like with anything. If you go into someone's home or you meet someone, that first meeting, you're just kind of trying to figure each other out, you know, like, and then the second night we were there is when it really started kind of hitting off, and I had 
to me more of a of a like oh wow moments you know, that second night. But I think it's just like with people interaction. I mean, that first meeting, you're just kind of trying to figure each other out and like, who is this person and, and what are they like? And and the second meeting, you're a little bit more at ease. And I'm sure if we had stayed a third night, maybe they it would have been super active. Who knows? But definitely, I think the first, the getting our feet wet kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, the uh, the amount of activity and, and see, I'm... I'm glad that you were able to experience like what real activity is. It's not this over the top movie stuff. It's subtle. It's, it's all very, very quiet. It's, it's easy to pass off as mundane, but if you just open yourself up to it, then you can start piecing things together and be like, okay, that was not a random noise. That was definitely meant for me. (laughs) Right. I was going to say in the schoolhouse, like when we started seeing that shadow, like Mm -hmm. that, to me, that was, and that was almost Hollywood movie-ish, you know, so it's kind of hit and miss. Like in the jail, I think we were kind of having to work for it. And I think they were getting used to us. But at the schoolhouse, it was almost like they they wanted some interaction because that shadow formed pretty quickly. Yep. And I do rem- vividly remember seeing that shadow almost take shape. And I thought, well, that's that's not normal, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So you just never know. You never know. It's it's hit and miss, but it's super weird when you first see something like that. But I mean, I got to tell you, Ellie, at, at this point, it's it's pretty much happening like every investigation I go on. So I'm just kind of used to it. I'm like, OK, hey, so who are you now? <laughs> <laughs> see, you're used to it. Me, I'm just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> but uh, what what you were saying, how like uh, there was there was an obvious increase in in interaction between the first night and the second night and how we probably would have had more if we stayed a third. I 100% agree. Uh, I fully believe that if you're a label, if you're able to set yourself up in an isolated spot like that and have an extended period of time, not only does it give you a better control to try to capture data and, and try to, you know, have that, that baseline to base everything off of, but it also opens the pathways of interaction between us and whatever it may be uh, and mm-hmm. you know, allows us both to get used to each other, just like you were saying. So I, I bet if we stayed there for a week, we would be having coffee with Ike at, at, you know, five in the morning. It's like reality TV, you know, like when you know the camera's on you, you kind of act the way that you, but when you get used to it being there and it's almost just like you don't notice it anymore. So, I mean, I think, not to compare paranormal to reality TV, but I think it'd be that kind of example is that if you were there for an extended amount of time, that whatever's there might just start not even really noticing you and maybe just start being itself kind of more natural kind of thing. And definitely think that you would get more there. It's like Waverly. When y'all went to Waverly, which was an incredible experience. Can you imagine if you could just stay there for two, three, a month? Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I I would in a heartbeat if they'd let me, I really would. it would be super cool because y'all picked up so much in the short time you were there. Can you imagine if you had the opportunity to stay longer? I mean, God knows what you would, what you would pick up. I bet you that if we would have been able to stay in that uh, school overnight, it would have almost have been a repeat of the varied phenomena that I experienced at Waverly. Cause that, that place was lit and it, it wasn't even dark yet. There was a, a group of people there who were very frenetic and energized. So 
like we didn't even have time to really sit down and sink into the shadows and that place was moving <laughs> if you can get a big group and can maybe rent that whole facility out and, and i mean you have beds there it'd be perfect for a, a weekend thing i think that you that would definitely be on your radar is to try to stay there that's the and plan it's got the, have a large group so it'd be, it's a win-win either way yeah i was thinking probably um uh, probably about 10 maybe 12 people and, uh, yeah, I think I, I definitely want to put that on the radar because I wanted to say it was only like 750, you get 10 people in and that's less than, that's like 75 bucks each. It was definitely under a thousand to yeah. rent the whole, so it's feasible for sure. Yeah. We're definitely going to, we're, we're going to have to make that happen in the future. Um, so final question, do you think we managed to serve a purpose with this investigation? I think so. I think if you go into it with all the, the kind of setups that we had, I think that I don't think we're done, though, because, for example, when my husband had that weird dream, it was pretty adamant. Find my story kind of attitude. And we did that. You know, we may not particularly like Ike, but we did kind of uncover a little bit about who he was. But I still think we're not done with with finding out the cause of his demise. Like we need to, we need to really figure out if, 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 if he committed suicide or if he was murdered. So I don't think our work is done at all um, in that place, but I, I do think the ball is rolling. And I think we accomplished what we set out to do. We went and took a name that's been marketed on a pamphlet and put a little more meat into it. And it, like, like I said, it, it may not be good meat, but you know, I mean, <laughs> That's not the point, you know. I mean, the point's to figure out who this guy is, and and it goes back to what I said earlier. I mean, I'm just curious to to why this name got picked for their marketing tools out of all the inmate population. Why this guy? You know, mm. there's got to be something to this guy and this name. And I'm prepared to dig a little deeper. He's obviously got a paper trail based on his criminal history. I would love to try to find something out that wasn't criminal related. Um, for example, that it stated in one article, he was a wealthy planner. Um, maybe find out, you know, what his operation was, what he was doing economically. Um, maybe try to find some good points in this guy's life instead of focusing on all the, the arrests and everything. But, but I definitely think we, we served a purpose and we took a name that's just been plastered everywhere as this spirit, you know, at a, at a B&B. And we, we actually found the person behind the name, which I think was our goal. But we still, we still got to figure out more information about his death. So we're not done yet, for sure. Yeah, but I, feel I the definitely same think that we accomplished. Yeah. But love for autopsy reports but I wait, wait say, we'll say that again uncover autopsy reports but i don't know if that's gonna happen because that could finish this whole well there there you go you know but i don't i don't think we'll find those i think ike was quickly buried <laughs> so i yeah but that that would really just solve the problem but but then that's the beauty of this is it's not easy. You got to kind of work for it. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So if it takes a little midnight oil and reading glasses and digging around, so be it. That's the fun part. But, but the, the, to me, the experiment of what you did mainly added a little more weight to 
our purpose, which was to find out who Ike was. And if whatever we were talking to was Ike, you know, we kind of got a, a glimpse into him. So it's it's kind of a balancing beam. You can do the research and find things out about these people, and that's great. But then when you go there and you have experiences, it adds a little more character to the person. Like uh, when you do Waverly, you could spend hours reading about all these people at Waverly, and that's great and all. But then when you go there, like y'all did, it kind of puts it a little, makes it a little bit more real when you get evidence. Um, you can yeah. look up a name all day and it's just a name, you know, but then to go somewhere and have an experience, then it's almost like you're, you're meeting that person a little bit better. So we're definitely not done with Ike. I, I think that this is just, but I think we did accomplish what we wanted, which was, we, we kind of broke the ice. <laughs> Agreed. And you know what? You kept your promise. I mean, you essentially started this. You said you you said out loud, I'm going to tell your story. And uh, yeah. here you are. We're we're now sharing this with the world. Yeah, and you came into play, which was totally weird because when we went there, you and I had not communicated in years. And so I didn't even go into it thinking XV Planus will be back, my friend. You know, I didn't know about XV Planus. You know, I just kind of was internally committing myself to I need to figure this out, you know, kind of thing. And then when me and you reconnected, it was like, well, hey, this is a perfect you know, opportunity to, to hold my end of the bargain. And we did. So thank you for, for bringing your equipment along. Otherwise it would just be me at a, in a library looking up a name, you know, so. Absolutely. I think we're, uh, I think we're at the beginning of a, a, a longer mystery to unravel, but Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. Let's figure it out. Definitely. We will be back. Ike. We're, we're going to, we're going to find something out. Everything that we say reminds me of like a 70s sitcom, like good old Ike. You know? <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> the name Ike is just perfect for this because it, it sounds like, I don't know. I don't know. I know that's totally off subject, but I told Jason the other night, I was like, just even saying his name, like, we'll be back, Ike. You know, it just seems like it's like some bad TV <laughs> show or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is F Troop gone horribly wrong or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, thank you again so much for joining me on this adventure and for also bringing it uh, into my orbit. That was an unexpected surprise, and I really can't wait to go back and explore it a little bit more. The whole town, yes, the whole town is definitely a hot spot. And so we will return. If you take Ike's story out of it, that whole town is just a. It's a neat little place. I've, I've never been in an area where, like, a whole community almost seems to be tapping into it. It's mm. weird, but it's, it's it's exciting, though. Yeah, absolutely. So that being said, uh, Washington, we will certainly return. Mike, you can guarantee that we'll be hitting you up when that happens. And, uh, Jamie, I will uh, let you know when I am transplanted down south, and maybe we can come up to to Yazoo and do some uh, spooky stuff there because you got a couple of potential hot spots there as well. Definitely. Well, we're here. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank Jamie for not only joining me tonight to talk about our investigation in Washington, but also for finding this hidden little gem and bringing it to my attention. 
You can find links for all things related to historic Washington State Park in Arkansas in the show notes, including a list of their upcoming events. So if you can make it out for one, I highly recommend it. And tell them I sent you. Once again, our sincere gratitude to Mike Terrell, the state of Arkansas, and the town of Washington. Join us again in two weeks when we return to explore one of the most active haunted locations in the Midwest, Whispers Estate in Mitchell, Indiana. In the meantime, if you're craving more XV Planus content, consider donating to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash xvplanus, where you're gaining access to our exclusive content. There's a whole other separate series on there, as well as extended interviews, exclusive episodes with special guests, the most recent of which was with Richard Haddam, the screenwriter of The Mothman Prophecies, and so much more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere as XV Planus, and you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes as well. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us. Tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people out on the bus stop about us. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by you sharing us with others who you think might enjoy taking this trip. Be sure to check out all the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Grognostics, Smuts Up, Ad Hoc History, and more. Normally, I'd tell you you can find them by going to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com, but that site is under construction, so we'll get back to you on that later. The show is produced in the Black Lodge, wherever that resides in this current point of space and time, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music for the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. High praise and special thanks to Sonny and Rim for our updated logo, and many thanks to Meg, who manages most of our social media. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Plans. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far, and I'll see you in the between. In album Bratio, in Fluctus, Subvalo.